so what have, what's happened the past few days? Well, uh, we've been talking about freedom in a culture of control. We've been talking about grace and how that plays out in a culture that's obsessed with personal control, with sort of control over uh, yourself, other people, the church, uh, the world. And what um, J.D. Uh, on Thursday night got up here and talked about how Jesus shot his dog. And what he was really trying to say is that the gospel message of God's love for sinful people actually means that our vested interests, which, which, which leads us to control so, much, so many things out of fear, that our vested interest is, is kind of, what did he say? It's been humanely put down. And uh, he talked about the, all the subtle ways that we turn uh, promises into threats. That even the slightest hint of a but in a promise, you know, I, 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 I promise to love you, da-da-da-da, but... You know, sign this prenup. You know, like uh, any, the slightest hint of a but turns a promise into a threat. And that one of the key objectives of Mockingbird uh, is not to blink when it comes to the grace and love of God, which is unconditional um, and does not have a but in it. And that to the extent to which Mockingbird is doing anything exciting is the extent to which we're not blinking. And that's all in God's hands. Then we heard uh, my father, we've heard a variety of uh, um, thoughtful uh, reflections. We heard, uh, we've heard about how uh, he's asked the question of what inspires us. And how love, how grace actually uh, space inspires people to do interesting things, to do what they want to do. And we've heard how criticism and judgment and um, pressure seem to kill inspiration and how deadly that can be, and especially when it enters into our uh, sex life. I'm not kidding. If you didn't listen to that one, yesterday afternoon we heard about grace and sex, which was very thought-provoking. Almost everyone has come up to me afterwards and like, what was he talking about? <laughs> I mean, I know he was saying something. So, sex as a nightmare for the church is what he was talking about. And uh, what on earth uh, the, the answer could be in light of that nightmare and the sort of not knowing. But we've, all, we've also heard from uh, Mark Galley, and we've heard what's been for me a very fresh and fertile new area to talk about law and gospel, judgment and love, uh, however you want to put it, as control and chaos. These two opposing forces that original sin, to equate original sin with control and to equate uh, grace with chaos, I've found it to be very already very fertile, very fruitful in my own thinking. And hopefully you've gotten something out of it, too. I will be very interested to see how his forthcoming book, which encapsulates all those ideas, is reviewed in Christianity Today. <laughs> yeah, five stars. I hope you still have a job. <laughs> so that's coming out. When is it coming out, Mark? October it's coming out. So... Look for it. What, and what's it? The Liberating Chaos of Grace? Is that what, what's it called? Uh, liberating, 
He doesn't know the title of his book. <laughs> chaos, people, chaos. Yeah, just, just Google Mark Galley Chaos. And you'll probably get to the Mockingbird site, the new site. Um, and all these recordings, by the way, if you missed anything, stuff will be available uh, for free. Uh, it may not be this week because we may be waiting to the new site. But do be checking back with us. We do believe that these um, conferences are not only a wonderful time to be together, but they live on in that way. So anything you've heard that you've found to be helpful or exciting, please, you know, take and be fruitful and multiply. Um, so the title of my talk, and I'll try to keep this short, I know it's cold, and I know we have questions for Mark, uh, and we also want to uh, sing a little bit before we go, is uh, with a major hat tip to uh, Raymond Carver, the writer, my, uh, my, uh, my talk's titled What We Talk About When We Talk About Freedom. Freedom... I believe is one of the chief things. I've always felt this, that freedom is one of the chief things that Christianity actually has to offer the world. Freedom, the idea is Christian freedom uh, being one of the great, the great gift. Yet how sadly, uh, ironic, tragic is it that Christianity is not viewed as a, as a source of freedom. It's, an, it's seen as an engine of control, suppression, constraint, um, you name it. Just look at Angela on The Office, and, and you, you know what the world thinks about Christians. Anal retentive. Um, so Christianity is a means of, of, of oppression rather than liberation, and a set of rules that make its followers sort of neurotic and hypocritical. It seems to make uh, bad people worse. <laughs> uh, it's almost that, that, you know, Team America, the South Park guys movie, the puppet movie. Don't watch it. It's really foul. But there's a song in there called Freedom Isn't Free. And that's what I always think about when I think about the church. Freedom isn't free. It's like we, we, we give you freedom with one hand and we just take it away with the next one. You know, but you have St. Paul, on the other hand, talking about it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That great redundancy. Well, what else would he be setting you free for? That, that beautiful redundancy, rather than freedom isn't free, which is a contradiction in terms. So what are we talking about when we talk about freedom? Does it just mean the freedom to do whatever, to have a lot of options? Well, if you're a young person in the world today, you know that having a lot of options isn't freedom at all. Given the choice to do anything, we will do nothing. We will be handcuffed. We won't know what to do, and eventually we'll go to law school. Does it mean like what, the, what, what Christians often say, that maybe it means freedom finally not to do certain things? I think to the addict, maybe that's true. I think Christians are onto something. Freedom to do things which we normally can't, to uh, love God, to, um, to, to love people, to serve. There's a sense in which that's true as well. That's a little, it gets a little abstract and religious. I would say that the, main, the freedom that resonates mostly with me is the freedom from, your, from myself. Freedom from the self. Uh, there's the great analogy here for me uh, recently is parenthood. Lots of eyes in this sermon. <clears throat> it's not a sermon. Uh, 
Amy Adams, the uh, girl who uh, was in The Fighter recently and this great enchanted actress, she just had a child. And she said, she was quoted as saying, I like the world more now. The focus is off of me and that is freedom. That I no longer am the most important thing in my life. As much as I didn't want to admit it, before I was self-centered. I didn't even realize how self-centered. My small day-to-day drama is now so different. Now, that, that's not exactly what I'm trying to talk about, but it, it gets at it. Freedom from yourself, uh, which theologically we would boil down to one word. And the word is imputation. It's a word that we throw around a lot on the website. It's a word that, you know, maybe doesn't make any sense to anyone. But imputation means that we are, it, theologically it means that we are imputed the righteousness of Christ. Basically that our identity is found, our, the basis of our relationship with God is not in anything we do, but in what Jesus has done. That when God looks at us, that's what he sees. It's the, the great analogy here is that, you know, when, when the New York Giants won the Super Bowl, uh, I, was, I was living a couple blocks away. This is from, straight from Cameron Cole, by the way. Um, and you could hear the shouts in the street after they won. Everyone's saying, we won, we won, we won. I was thinking, no, you didn't. You were here on 18th Street. You didn't do anything. You, you, in fact, from all I can tell is you just got really drunk. That doesn't seem to, like, have anything to do with winning. But as a fan, as a person who is uh, identified with the Giants, they did win. That, that, that victory was imputed to them. And that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. So imputation is just the idea that we are loved not according to anything we bring to the table. It has everything to do with the cross, with Jesus. That you are not who you see yourself to be, you are who God sees you to be. And God, God sees you to be his son, his adopted child. I love the uh, strange parable or not episode in Matthew where Jesus is um, talking to his disciples about uh, taxes. Um, and this is, is, is from the chapter 17. He said, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Peter said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon. From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. 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 And this works out in a gazillion different ways. And I think it is a real free. It's not just, you know, a lot of times when Christian talks about freedom, what they actually mean is the exact opposite of freedom. But I think Jesus actually is talking about freedom. And what, what actually even sometimes, sometimes feels like freedom. But is actually even, even freedom from feeling free. So the, 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 I'm just going to say four ways that this freedom plays out. I would say, first of all, it's freedom from judgment. Freedom from comparison. Freedom from the law. Freedom from measurement, which equates to freedom from fear. If there's no, if nothing's at stake, there's no judgment on the other side of your actions. There's freedom. There's no fear. Nothing you can do or be can add to or subtract from 
what Jesus has done on the cross. If it's a historical reality, it can't be changed. It's not contingent upon your quiet times. And of course, that sort of freedom from judgment and uh, measurement, to the person that internalizes that, that really takes it in, it's, it, it, it's, it's the freedom to be transparent, to be honest. You know, Martin Luther talks about the, the, the whole life of the believer should be one of repentance, which basically means that a person is finally free to just repent, just to say, to be honest. It also means when there's nothing at stake, there's no judgment, there's no approval or denial or rejection, you can try new things. The question, what inspires you, is the question. W.H. Auden once wrote in his poem on, in praise of limestone, and this has been sort of like one of the, you know, sometimes people have Bible verses that like, you know, like their memorization verse. This is, this is that for me. Um, take that or leave it. The, uh, he wrote, the blessed will not care what angle they are regarded from, having nothing to hide. The blessed will not care what angle they are regarded from, having nothing to hide. This imputation dynamic, it it, it removes the judgment obstacle that keeps Christians from having anything to do with non-Christians. The the, the weeds from saying that that person's a tear. It allows you to say, actually, we're all weeds. This, This exact thing that Mark has just finished talking about. The facades of holiness crumble. What's left are just transparent, broken people. Human beings who can look their pain and suffering in the face and not identify with it. Who can confess their problems, knowing that they don't go into those places alone. And that they are no longer defined not only by their actions, but by by their thoughts and their feelings. The peace which passes all understanding, which is not some sort of emotional euphoria. But a a, a peace that that doesn't require you to feel peaceful. So you can look at your turmoil. you, You can observe it without it... Uh, pigeonholing you and making you into a depressed person. We might even find we have compassion for those that function similarly. So we are both sinners in need of mercy, and we are sons and daughters who have received that mercy. And that's pretty much the whole loaf. And that dovetails very nicely into the next freedom, which is freedom from obligation. That... um, Everything that, when I say obligation, I'm talking about the shoulds of life, what needs to be done. A lot of us feel that life is a problem to be solved. If I can just figure out exactly what God wants me to do, or not even exactly what God wants me to do, if I can figure out exactly how to make the most possible money, then I will be happy. If I can figure out the most, or if I can figure out the way to be happy, then I will be happy. That your entire life, is a, you see it as a, basically an elaborate math problem that you're trying to solve. That you're trying to get it right. But what the righteousness of, of Christ, the gospel tells us, is that the shoulds, there's everything that needs to be done has been done. The shoulds, the needs to, 
are transformed into, into wants, into desire, into inspiration. So what do you want to do? Now, that can be a scary question, but what do you want to do? What does inspire you? Because, you know, if, if, if you start doing what you want to do, rather than what you think someone, someone else needs you to do or wants you to do, you'll not only do that thing better, but you'll do it more ethically. There's no incentive to cheat. I think that sometimes people, the best compliment I've ever received about Mockingbird is that there's a, a, a slight sense of freedom to the, to the extreme uh, uh, variety of stuff that we look at and talk about. That there's no place that's off limits. Um, that there's something, that we're looking at what we want to look at, what we like rather than what we think we should like or what we want you to like. Though, of course, I want you to like Brian Wilson, but that's, beside, that's another story. So we are freedom from obligation. And the next freedom, I think, um, is freedom from temporality, freedom from time. Uh, most of us are either our actions, you know, and if you look at the, that new David Brooks book, uh, which is so rich, um, we're motivated by some combination of the wounds of our past and our anxiety about the future. And our emotional life is what calls the shots, not really our rational life. And I would say, uh, being a person in, in my, in my um, early 30s, that we're, we, young people especially are addicted to this sort of thinking about the, the future. Everything is future-oriented. I'm on this ladder to get to this certain place. I'm doing this now so that in some mythical day I will be happier, I'll reach some place of fulfillment. Everything is about upward mobility, and there's a growth imperative. Jonathan Franzen, who coincidentally wrote a book called Freedom, which defines freedom by negation, by the way. It defines it by looking at what freedom is not, or how, how people only find freedom on the other side of being bottoming out. But that's, read the blog. He wrote this. He said, we have this notion in this country not only of endless economic growth, but of endless personal growth. I have a certain character, a logical antipathy to the notion that we're get all getting better and better all the time. And it's so clearly belied by our experience. You may get better in certain ways for 10 years, but one day you wake up and although things are a little bit different, they're not a lot different. And I think that if one can get more accustomed to that somewhat more tragic view of life, that people will think, yeah, we don't actually need to have a bigger and bigger house and a bigger and bigger car and a larger and larger paycheck, and more and more things in the house. That there might be some way to think about the world in different terms, that it might be more about being and less about growing. More about being and less about growing. The gospel message is that the, the past has been dealt with, and the future has too. Life is not a problem to be figured out. It is to be experienced. Franzen is 100% right. You know that there's also this article in Slate that we put on the website recently about anxiety and how we deal with um, the future. And they said that um, American high school students are on average as anxious as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. 
so that we no longer have to experience things only in terms of what they might mean for our future or about our past. We can actually experience the things as they are, what they are, not without projecting onto them. So the Christian freedom is the freedom to be rather than to grow. And of course, we all know that when you're free to just be and not grow, that's when growth actually happens. But it's the last freedom, and this is what I'll I'll, I'll try to leave you with. I think we have freedom from freedom. We are free not to be free. We can accept that we will never be cool enough, good-looking enough, wealthy enough, theologically correct enough. Christianity, the gospel message, explodes from the outset any notion of reaching peace through personal achievement or enlightenment. David Foster Wallace, who's a great hero of mine, he said this. He was talking about the exact same thing. He said, The great lie of the ocean liner cruise is that enough pleasure and enough pampering will quiet this discontented part of you, when in fact all it does is up the requirement. I can remember being 24 years old and having my smiling mug in the New York Times book review and it feeling really good for exactly like 10 seconds. And then you're hungry for more. So that clearly, I mean, if you're not stupid, you figure out that the real problem is the discontented self. That all this stuff that you think will work for a second, but then all it does is set up a hunger for more and better. And that general pattern and syndrome seems to me to get repeated, at least in our culture, for our kind of plush, middle-class part of the culture, over and over and over again in a million different arenas. And that we don't seem to get it. We do not seem to get it. It may be that those ambitions are what get you to do the work, to get the exposure, to realize that the original ambitions were misguided. So it's that weird paradoxical link. If you didn't have the ambitions, you'd never find out. They were sort of deluded. He's talking about the law and the gospel. (laughs) The ambitions revealing to us what we actually are. Putting us on 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 a place on our knees where all we have is this discontented self. But God... The gospel news is that God actually uses our illusions to save us. That we are free to be saved. We are free to die. To be killed. That we're not saved by good theology. From understanding freedom correctly. From understanding the theology of the cross correctly. From understanding pop culture well. We are liberated. We are saved by our Savior. That's it. We are liberated by the Holy Spirit. So all I'm really trying to say is that regardless of where you are, if you are in a place of total bondage and non-freedom... God does not blink. I want to say that Collect for Peace, which uh, Thomas Cranmer wrote, that will close my portion.
O God, who art the author of peace and the lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom, defend us, thy humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in thy defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries, through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.